If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24. Um, we're just going to work our way through this. Dan and Janet have been in, in Luke the last few weeks, and then we looked at, uh, on Friday night uh, in, in Luke as well at the crucifixion. And we're just going to just pull out a few thoughts this morning, and we're going to then we're going to just kind of engage with God a bit. We're going to do something with the term that we introduced a few weeks ago. But we're just going to look at this a little bit. Let's just read Luke chapter 24. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Do you notice what's happening? The men are sleeping in, aren't they? On Sunday morning. Have you noticed that? It doesn't say it, but that's what's happening, isn't it? The men are sleeping in, but the women are up doing the work. Isn't that right, women? The women are nodding and the men are looking a little sheepish. (laughs) They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? What a great phrase. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Well, generally, people who are dead stay dead. So that's why they're looking. Because generally, people who are dead stay dead. But they say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. Remember, he's already told you this. But you didn't get it. You didn't really believe it. You didn't really imagine it. He's already told you this. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered. That's all he was talking about. That's all that stuff he was talking about. This is it. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles, but they did not believe the women. Do you know it's incredible that God would choose to do it this way? Because in Jewish culture at the time, the testimony of women was not valid. And yet they chose that, that it was the women that were the eyewitnesses first. Just incredible, kind of upside down way that God seems to do things sometimes. They did not believe the women because the word, their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, you remember, did you see that little thing on the video earlier on? It was great on it, the way that, that that did that. That's what's going on here. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And then in the next passage of scripture, you get Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus with his two uh, disciples, two followers. And um, they kind of don't really recognise who, who they are. And... Um, Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognised it. How many of you know that that's happened to you as well, isn't it? That that you've kind of like, you've been thinking about God and you've been exploring that, but suddenly your eyes open and you recognise him. That's what happened to these guys. See, some people have Damascus Road experiences where there's a flash of light and shining light and then you become a Christian. Some people have Emmaus Road experiences where you're just growing into it and you're kind of following and you're not quite sure. Then all of a sudden you realise that's God. And he goes on to say, They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen. And has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way. And how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. 
While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. In John's version, Jesus presented his wounds to them. Do you remember that? Especially to Thomas. Showed them his wounds, invited Thomas to come and to touch him. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Here it is. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? Can you imagine that? That's just great, isn't it? Do you have anything to eat? (laughs) They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. It's a great story, isn't it? And it's not just a story. It's a great reality and truth. And I want to say a few things to us this morning on Resurrection Day. Not a lot. Post-resurrection appearances were identified by flesh and bone experiences. What I mean by that is that some thought he was a gardener. Some walked and talked with him on the road. Some ate with him. He asked for breakfast and had a piece of fish. Some were invited to touch him. The resurrection is not about a disembodied evacuation to another place, but it's about something that's happened which changes life right here, right now. It's not all about what happens when we die. It's not a disembodied evacuation to another spiritual place. Resurrection is all about now. It's all about life as well as all about the future. You see, Jesus came through death and started something else in this world that we call home. See, often when we think about resurrection, we think about Jesus coming out of the tomb and then we think about his resurrection body and then him ascending to heaven and therefore it's all about heaven, which is the place we go to when we die and that's not the Bible. Resurrection is not all about what happens in the afterlife. Resurrection is all about what happens in the present life as well as the future life. It's all about change right here, right now. Resurrection is not about us leaving this world, but it's about a new reality in this world. It's an announcement of a new creation that God is rescuing us from decay and from death. And if you look in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talks about it in in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins now. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The Bible's view of resurrection is that resurrection is not just about what's going to happen in the future. It's about life here on earth, right here, right now. 
And we're going to look at that this minute. Three things that I want to say to you this morning about what the resurrection means for us. Number one, it means that what's been broken can be repaired. Isn't that great news? Because when Jesus comes and he presents his wounds, the wounds are still there. The damage is still there. But he's coming back to say that I was broken, but I've conquered life. So what's been broken can be repaired. And the Bible says he showed them his wounds. Very interesting. In a medical journal, there are five types of wounds. When you look at the medical definition of those five types of wounds, every one of those wounds Jesus had in his body. There's what's called a contused wound, which is produced by a blunt instrument. The Bible said that a soldier slapped him across the face. There's a lacerated wound, which, it, which it comes through a tearing instrument. They put the crown of thorns on his head, tore through his skin. There's a penetrating wound that comes through a sharp instrument, like a nail through the wrist or through the feet. There's a perforating wound, which means to pierce through. They pierced his side with a spear. There's an incise wound, which is the cut of a sharp-edged instrument. When Jesus came back and showed them his wounds, he's saying, all the wounds that you have, I've carried. And because I've come back, you need to know that what's been broken can be repaired. How many of you know to be human is to be wounded, isn't it? We're wounded. But because of the resurrection, you can know that even though you have been wounded and broken, you can be repaired. Not just then, but now. The resurrection is about change right here, right now. Jesus is coming and saying, I was broken beyond repair, but I'm back. So what's broken can be repaired because of the resurrection. And if that can happen in me, then my life in you can mean it can also happen in you as well. And however you've been broken, the resurrection is hope that you can be repaired. Hallelujah. It's exciting, isn't it? And he's coming and he's showing them all these wounds. as I've got it all covered. All the wounds that are known to mankind, I know. And I've taken them and absorbed them and I've bounced back. What's been broken can be repaired. What's been wounded can be healed. Tomorrow does not have to be a repeat of today. That voice that tells you that you will always struggle with that issue or that issue, that voice is not right. Because of the resurrection, there is hope that what's been broken can be repaired. Isn't that good news? And God comes and says that. And Jesus comes and says that. One of the images in the early church, and we're going to celebrate this image at the 11 o'clock service in two ways. We're going to dedicate uh, two uh, babies, obviously, and we're going to baptise about nine young people, which is fantastic. And both of those, the image in the new church, in the, in the early church, was about new birth. It was about new birth. And new birth is not just about babies or even salvation. New birth, the resurrection, is, is the image of the new birth in resurrection is about that you do not have to stay in ruts any longer. There is resurrection. Amen? You do not have to stay in the habits of the past. You do not have to stay under what has happened in the past. You can start again. And Jesus came and said, what's been broken can be repaired. Secondly, I believe the resurrection, what it means for us is what's finished is really complete. Have you ever done something and you've got to the end and you thought, I've finished it? And you've thought a little bit, but no, I haven't. Anyone ever done that? Perhaps you're decorating, or perhaps you're doing a meal, a fancy meal for someone, or perhaps you're writing an essay, and you think, you put your pen down, you put your brush down, you put your, whatever you're doing with a meal, your, your, your fork down, your spoon down, shows you how much I do it, and you look at it and you say, done. And then you say, hmm, it's not quite finished. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You know when Jesus, on the cross, cried out in Aramaic, Teles estai, that phrase, it is finished. 
It wasn't a cry of defeat. It wasn't a resignation. It was a shout of triumph that said, It is complete. It's finished. There is nothing else to add. There's no final touches of garnish to the meal. There's no last couple of strokes with the paintbrush. There's no other couple of alterations with the essay. It is finished, complete, done. There is no more. There is no more. When it's finished, it's really complete. And what happened when he cried out, it is finished, the resurrection is God's amen. The resurrection is God saying, amen, it's finished. It was done there on the cross. And because Jesus come back, amen, it's finished, so be it. It's done. It is complete. All that Old Testament sacrificial system of sacrifice and cleansing and rituals in order to pay off the debt that we owe to God. You don't need to do that anymore. It's finished. The debt has been paid. Isn't that exciting? I want you to imagine the picture with me of a family. And uh, the man's lost his job and the wife has lost his job, her job. And um, the kids are beginning to realise that, that they're in big trouble. And they've got a mortgage and the credit card bills are racking up and racking up. And they've got no way of paying. And they go to the bank and the bank manager slams the door in their face. And there's no hope with the bank any longer. And they sit around a meal table with just a few bits of food together. And they've got the mortgage and they've got credit card bills and the bank won't help them and nobody will help them and they have no money. Imagine the despair that is going on in that family. And then there's a knock on the door and uh, the next door neighbour is there and the next door neighbour just comes in and just bursts their way in. Don't you love neighbours like that? They just burst their way in, you've got some, and sits down and the neighbour says, right, I know that you're all in trouble. We know that you're all in trouble. And the neighbour gets a checkbook out and says, how much do you owe? And they're embarrassed, and you would be embarrassed. Some of you are very excited about the prospect of this. You're saying, prophesy, prophesy, bring it on. And, and, and they're embarrassed, but then they say, and, they, and then they say, no, 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 I mean everything, the mortgage. How much do you owe on the mortgage? How much do you owe on the credit card bills? Give me the number. And then they say, right, that's the number. I'm going to add a bit extra for you. And they write them a cheque, and they give them a cheque, and they leave. How do you think they feel, the family? Huh? <laughs> Pretty amazing, don't they? That image is a resurrection image. That image is a resurrection image. The early church understood it. This is how they described it in Colossians 2 verse 14. By cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And the resurrection of Jesus, he's come and said, listen, it's finished. The debt has been Covered. Hallelujah. The debt that you owed that you could not pay has been covered. And I've come back to tell you that. It was nailed to the cross. And because I've come back, you can now know that that debt that you owed to God that you could never pay has been covered, paid in full. Isn't God amazing? That's amazing. The resurrection is the cancelling of debt that you could never pay on your own. What is complete, is what's finished, is really complete. And finally, what's been promised is being fulfilled. As we read through that chapter there, there's various times where it says, as he spoke to you. You know, and there's loads of promises right through scripture. It's being fulfilled in the resurrection. You know, in John's account of the resurrection story, the Bible says that Jesus breathes on his followers and says, receive the Holy Spirit. It's really interesting. Because what's happening when he breathes on them, okay, it's the same word that God used right in the back in, in, in the beginning of Gen- Genesis chapter three when he 
breathe his life into the first Adam in the garden. And of course there's a gardener that comes in the resurrection. And it's all linking up. You see what I mean? It's all linking up. When you look at scripture as a whole and this breathing the Holy Spirit, living life, is a reference back to pre-fall, is a reference back to the beginning of Genesis. This was God's original design that you would live in the power of my life, breathe into you and that you'd inhabit a garden and it would be fantastic. That's God's original plan. And what's being promised is being fulfilled. Why do you look for the living among the dead, they say? See, it's not about death. And you know, the dead are not just in graveyards, you know that, don't you? They're in churches as well. They're in families. They're in marriages. They're in lives. They're in communities. But where the life of God is, where the resurrection is, that's not death. That's life. And John, Jesus breathes on them the life that God breathed right in the beginning of time in Genesis. And Jesus, another thing, Jesus is the second Adam. Do you see what I mean? So you've got Adam, God breathing life into Adam, inhabit a garden, live the life I intended you to live in the garden, subdue it, be fruitful, live it. And Jesus is the second Adam and he breathes his life into his disciples. And there's this whole thing about this is what God originally intended for us, that we would live in resurrection life and power. Amen. Amen. Breathing of life is a reference back to Eden. Jesus is the new Adam, reversing the curse of sin and death by conquering it. The resurrection shows that God's original plan is still his plan. Sin is a hitch, but his original plan is still his plan. And because of the resurrection, even death is not the end anymore. Are you excited about that? Even death is not the end anymore. Romans says that death has no mastery over us. The image that that the early church, again another resurrection image that the early church lived with, was the image of a boxer with a really big, mean opponent. And you can imagine this boxer getting into a ring and there's this really big, mean opponent. And time and time again, the big guy knocks you down and you just get up again. He knocks you down and you get up again. And you say, is that all you've got? And he knocks you down and you get up again. And eventually you say, my granny could do better than that. Is that all you've got? Can you imagine it? And he knocks you down and he knocks you down, but you keep getting back up. That's the image of the resurrection. Death has no mastery over us. At some point, you will win. Because your adversary, who may look bigger and stronger than you, eventually your adversary throws all that he's got at you and you absorb it all. Where, oh death, is your left hook? That's the image of a boxer somewhere in the ring and the guy hitting him and hitting him and he gets up and gets up and gets up and he absorbs it all. Where, oh death, is your left hook? Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 6, 5 to 6 from the message. This is fabulous. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sins, every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. Listen to this phrase. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. You get that? It was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. Never again will death have the last word. It's all because of the resurrection. And so this morning, on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we want to come and we want to just...
thank God, don't we, for his resurrection power. We've worshipped him, we've celebrated. We want to receive that life again this morning. How many of you want to receive that life again this morning? What's been broken can be repaired. What's finished is really complete. You don't have to add to it one iota. And what's been promised is being fulfilled. We are living God's life here by the power of his spirit. And death will not have the final word. And so what we're going to do is in a moment I'm going to ask um, a couple of our young people are going to come and just dance for us to a song which just invites us to come to Jesus again and what Jesus has done for us. And then I'm going to come back and with the band and ourselves we're going to take something from this tomb. Remember just a few weeks ago we placed like an image of our heart in there. Do you remember that? Saying that we want to die to ourselves. There's a sense of death as we looked in the heart of Jonah and the heart of Jesus. The sense of death. And as we share in the death of Jesus, so we also share in the life. And we're going to take life from this tomb this morning. So just sit back and just watch and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And this song is called Come to Jesus. <laughs>